Jane is a PIPEDA-compliant Canadian online platform providing a full suite of clinic management capabilities. Their features include secure telehealth, online bookings, scheduling, and more. If you'd like to watch a full demo for mental health practitioners, you can learn more at jane.app forward slash mental health. I'm Talia Singer, and this is Whatever Works. In this episode, I speak with Alex and his experience with mindfulness-based cognitive therapy. Alex discusses a trauma that occurred in childhood at the age of 14, so this is a disclaimer that this episode will touch on the theme of childhood sexual abuse. Look for the resources in the show notes if you need some support. Mindfulness-based cognitive therapy is a hybrid of ancient Eastern practices of mindfulness and meditation, which teach us to live in a state of acceptance and awareness of the present in all its forms, body and mind. While Western cognitive therapies use this awareness to form strategies that challenge unhelpful or distorted thoughts. Alex had one such experience in his early 20s with mindfulness-based cognitive therapy, and he's sharing it with us today. So tell me a little bit about how you came to find therapy in the first place. Well, um, I am a mental health counselor myself. And I think I came to find um, therapy even before I'd become a counsellor. I studied in England and we had to be in therapy ourselves uh, for many hours before we could even graduate. So Mm -hmm. that's how I discovered therapy. I was just generally interested in human nature and what makes people tick and what makes people do what they do. Um, and that's why I went to uh, school for psychology. But I, my real brush with therapy was when I had to do therapy for graduating. Uh, the idea wasn't for us to particularly choose a therapy, but I got lucky, and I was, I sort of came across this one particular person who was using, I was paired up with this therapist who was using mindfulness-based cognitive therapies uh, and uh, heavy on the mindfulness and, and not so heavy on the cognitive part of it. And that sort of uh, changed my life for the good. Do you mind giving me a little bit of background about yourself? Like where were you born? How did you wind up in England? Right. I was born in India. Uh, I was sent to a British school in India. Then I left India to go study in England. I lived there for a bit and now I am a Canadian. I live in Canada. (laughs) So I went to England to study and I have been in and out of England since like for over 12, 13 years now. And so you're studying in England. You're doing this graduate program in psychology and one of the requirements of graduating is to attend therapy and were you interested in attending therapy at the time or you were like oh gosh I have this on my plate you know better do it so that I can graduate you know interestingly I was looking forward to it I've always been that person who loves uh who loves to know why I do things the way I do like who loves to sort of have this increased self-awareness and it's not always possible when you're just talking to your friends who want to be polite to you and such Uh, 
And it's not always possible to talk about certain things with your friends, no matter how close you are to them. And that's why therapists are who they are, that you can go and talk to them about anything. And you that sort of safety around confidentiality, that safety around non-judgment and congruence that helps you uh, open up those mm-hmm. things, yeah. And so do you mind taking me through that first experience walking through the door of your new therapist? If you were to like be able to go in a time machine and relive that moment, what do you remember? Oh, um, I walked into the room. Uh, it was a university therapist. So I walked into the room. My therapist wasn't there. It seemed like someone's uh, living room. I went and sat in there and this really lovely, calm, composed, yet full of generosity and kindness on her face. Um, figure appears and just, I, I think that sometimes we do idolize people, idolize people, but I do think that in this particular case, just her demeanor calmed me so much. I hadn't even spoken anything because she was so much with it and not in a sense that I am better than you, not in the sense that, look, I'm more calmer than you. Look how you would never achieve this state of enlightenment. It was just, I am present. I am here. Mm. It sounds like she had a gravitational force. Yeah. <laughs> like everything was just like, you know, uh, like very, very stable as soon as she walked in. Yes. And that sort of, and sometimes I do believe that uh, I don't believe in energies as, as, as uh, supernatural things that sometimes they're referred to. I do believe that sometimes, you know, when you talk to people, their energy uh, and their attitude and just their. It does something to the neuroception of your own body and you assess the situation to be where you can ease yourself, where you can allow yourself to feel safe. And so she walks in and how did your first session go? How did you feel? Our first session was a lot about, you know, information gathering, but information gathering in the sense that you realize this is all relevant to what we're talking about. I think a lot of the times what happens is that when intake forms are being filled, a lot of information that might be relevant, and it appears so to the therapist, might not appear so to the client. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and, and to sort of present that information in a way that I'm here, I'm with you, I need to know this because this is how it's going to help, or this is how it might help us later. So I think that that went really well. Mm-hmm. And I think during just the taking of the information, she, is, she had, without saying, without putting in an extra effort, she had set that rapport with me. And that made it really remarkable, incredibly remarkable. And I, I realized thinking to myself, I'm not breathing too hard and I'm not breathing. So I was already studying mindfulness. Mm-hmm. So I was aware of, uh, you know, breathing and I was aware of my body and all of that. And I realized that, oh, okay, my shoulders are not too tight and my, my neck is not too tight, that kind of stuff. And I was 
there and she just after all of that was done she's like you know what we can we'll continue taking information but this is enough for today today i want you to talk to me about what i what i whatever you're here to talk about so that sort of giving primacy to the client's needs as opposed to your need to take that intake to fill the intake form and to complete that intake form and i i'm glad that she did that as well because that was the first time that we were able to sort of, I didn't even know, I wasn't prepared that I was actually going to talk to her about something that I never actually thought was traumatic in my past. But, and it's not like she labeled it as traumatic. She just talked about things and then this particular memory came up. And then we just talked about that throughout our sessions. I went to her for 20 sessions and most of our sessions, if not all, definitely not all, but a lot of our sessions were talking about that particular thing. And I had never even thought of that to be something that important. Hi, I'm Sophia from the Jane team. We understand that it can seem overwhelming to transition to a new software. However, with Jane, you're not alone. Jane's support team offers multiple touch points along the way to ensure you're up and running as smoothly and as quickly as possible. We're in this together. Jane is a Canadian-based PIPEDA compliant practice management software, offering a range of different features, including customizable electronic therapy notes, secure telehealth sessions, simple online booking, family relationships, and more, all on our Canadian-based servers. If you have any questions whether Jane is the right fit for your practice, we'd love to chat with you. Watch a demo and connect with us by visiting jane.app forward slash mental health. So Alex, I often ask people if they have a story to tell me and this, what story you say is up to you. You could tell me the story of why you came to counseling, kind of like the, the memory that emerged for you um, in mindfulness therapy, or the story that you tell could be about mindfulness therapy in general. You don't have to um, unpack any memories that you do not feel are, you know, necessary to unpack for you here, Alex. Oh, thank you very much for that. I, I do think, I mean, I can, um, briefly refer to the memory that I was talking about. and But I just wanted to give a little bit of a trigger warning before uh, that for anyone who's listening, mm-hmm. is I'd be talking about childhood abuse so and childhood sexual abuse. So it is important for people to remember that that could bring up their own memories and that could act as a trigger for them. So yeah, I would like to briefly touch on that memory and how mindfulness-based Cognitive therapy sort of helped me to come to a point today that I can talk about it. I went to this therapist and we talked about my childhood abuse. And um, it was all confusing because this particular relative of mine was so good looking and I was so attracted to this particular relative of mine. And he was um, he was much older than I was. So I was about 14 and he was in his mid-20s. Uh, and that sort of also confused me as to like, is this appropriate? Is this not? And at that time, I was not thinking about it too much. It would make me also deeply anxious. 
Just a note here, listeners, Alex and I made the decision to not include the more explicit details of the abuse. But Alex wanted to share that what started out as an innocent and age-appropriate infatuation, an imaginative fantasy, was quickly twisted into a grooming experience that quickly led to a period of abuse by his older relative. And uh, I kept on falling in love with him more and more and more. But for him, it was none of that. Um, it's just that he lived in a different city than I did. So we wouldn't see each other that often, but whenever we did, I would look forward to seeing him. But at the same time, it's not the same thing for him as it is for me. And as a teenager, you don't necessarily understand what love is, right? Uh, so all of those things were circling, not necessarily as verbally as they are now, but just as a sense of dread, just as a sense of not knowing who I am. He would withdraw his attention, he wouldn't talk to me, he wouldn't look at me. And I think that was far more painful for me, so to speak. And I think that is what made me realize that all of these memories started coming up with precisely just one question that she'd asked. She'd, She'd just asked me, why do you think you get anxious when someone loves you? Just like I'm going on tangents right now, I went on tangents in front of her. And then she said, no, tell me about this relative. Tell me about... And every single time, and that's what makes it slightly different from cognitive behavior therapy, not slightly, actually radically different from cognitive behavior therapy, is that every time I would speak, she would say, check in with your breath and your body. How are you feeling right now? Check in with your breath and your body. How are you feeling right now? And so that sort of built this sense of, I am safe in my body right now when I talk about it. And that is incredible. No amount of just cognitive therapy of telling me you're safe, you're safe, you're safe. Just tell yourself you're safe. Did that for me. She actually made my body feel safe, not just my brain feel safe in that moment and then this sort of came out and I I still remember as fresh as it it happened yesterday that when I was talking about this when the tears would trickle down my um, cheek they weren't accompanied with the usual shame that they used to be accompanied with because my body was relaxed at the time it was still feeling it was still experiencing what it was experiencing It was just devoid of shame. I'm thinking about this mindfulness technique and checking in with your body, very much like some other types of therapies that I've heard of, like um, OEI or like EMDR. And when you check in with your body, you process it, you're reprocessing a memory anew. Um, And in doing that, it it kind of like allows you to re-narrate the story, store the memory away in a new, in a new and unique way that doesn't feel as, as you say, as shameful. Because, or as threatening. Or as threatening because the trauma took place in the mind and the body. And 
And then when you check in with your body in a safe space, you kind of reclaim your body from the memory. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think also what happens is that you realize that the narrator has changed. The narrator is the adult now. The child is no longer narrating the story. So do you feel like the check-in with the body as an adult, kind of like a, a physical scan that you do, like in your mind, you're like thinking about your breathing, you're thinking about your heart rate, you're thinking about tension, and all of those things cause you to kind of like check-in and flex, and the body has changed, as you say. It's no longer the body of a 14-year-old, it's the body of a full-grown man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's exactly what I was saying. And you you actually put it in better words, but then this the idea is that we we were able to address the child who experienced it without becoming that child again. And when I say becoming that child again, I mean in the negative sense that 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 fourteen year old did not have the vocabulary, the skills the patience, the tools to deal with what happened. And the adult now has this vocabulary, the tools, the skills, the patience to deal with those memories. You can protect yourself now. One of, the, one of, one of our sessions, she did this particular thing where she would say, what about the instance um, bothered bothers you till today the most what, what if you go back what sticks out in your memory as a sore point what came to me was feeling helpless and she said right now just sit with that feeling and look at yourself and I would just cry and I would I actually felt it really close to my heart and in my shoulders and she would say now let's just breathe into this part observe it. You're not going to try to change it. We're going to accept it for what it is. And she would ask me to repeat this. I am here. Here I am. With each in-breath and out-breath. I am here. Here I am. Until my body in and of itself accepted that this is where I am in space and time. I think that, you know, that mantra is really unique to mindfulness. And it seems to really work on connecting the corporal body and like the heavenly body, like really like body and soul type of thing. Right. All of these come together and where you just observe both the body and the belief. The belief that I need to change it, the belief that this is unbearable, the belief that, oh, this is crushing me. Just observe that belief. And in the body, where do those beliefs show up? I usually ask people whether you think it was the modality itself or the therapist that was able to create a space for these memories to be not only emerge, but also like observed in that time in your life. Or do you think it's a combination that worked for you? I would definitely say it's the combination that worked for me. And I think that's true for almost every therapy. 
this case of getting a bad, th- bad as in quote unquote, um, mismatched, this mismatch of therapist and client can affect you very, very badly, can be very unhelpful for you. And I think you could have the best therapy and not so well matched a therapist, and that could also not get the same results. But I do think that mindfulness in and of itself does help you because I've I've been able to use the same therapy for for self-therapy about other things and it has worked wonders in other other areas of my life as well. Are there any other techniques that are unique to mindfulness therapy? I think mindfulness borrows a lot from uh, yoga, Buddhism, Stoicism. Uh, is the uh, the other techniques are, for example, for some people, it especially people who are very anxious, it's hard for them to close their eyes and focus on their breathing because that in and of itself could send them into a state of panic. Or, uh, you know, some people who are f- find it very who are going through a depressive phase could find it very difficult to do unguided, you know, mindfulness meditations or mindfulness living. So the one of the few things that we could do is like, especially when we're working with children, is that, you know, those soap bubbles. Mm-hmm. So we make soap bubbles and we ask the children to observe the soap bubble until it goes out of existence. So the colors on top of the soap bubble, the how big the soap bubble is and how high it went. So it's anything that would bring you back into the present. But Alex, I really wanted to thank you so much, so much for telling me the story um, and explaining how mindfulness therapy helped you reintegrate this experience. Well, thank you very much, Talia, for having me. And it's important for me as well that people get to learn about it and sort of help themselves if they can mm-hmm. and and remove that stigma from therapy being a certain way only. Mm-hmm. I think the only last few thoughts that is that I want to tell people is that uh, sometimes you can't just think your way out of trauma or the effects of trauma. Sometimes you have to feel your way out of the effects of trauma. This has been the third episode of the second season of Whatever Works. Thanks for joining me. I'm Talia Singer. This podcast is written and produced by me and edited by David Conroy and Jason Ball. The theme song for this podcast is called Universal Donor, off the album Hopeful Monster, written and performed by Jason Ball. You can find it on Spotify and Apple Music.